Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. We're launching this podcast to highlight the stories of everyday community leaders who break down barriers to entry for underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs. We believe in equitable and inclusive access to the tools and resources needed to start a business. In this podcast, we will speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we'll be speaking with Joe Cap. In 2017, Joe launched the National Entrepreneurship Week and Rural Rice. Joe has been featured in the Washington Post magazine and is on the advisory board of the Smithsonian Folklife Festival, among others. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, and thank you for having me here today. So, Joe, tell me a little bit about your current work and also your inspiration. What got you into entrepreneurship? Well, for the last about eight years, uh, I've been working on uh, entrepreneurship advocacy and trying to make entrepreneurship as accessible as possible to all communities around the United States. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur myself, uh, starting uh, my first business and in college. Uh, and over the course of time, uh, really looking at how um, I can start uh, additional businesses. And then after I became you know, fairly successful, I decided to get involved in uh, helping other communities and other people figure out ways to start their own business, whether they're an artist or uh, somebody who wants to start a small business. Uh, how do you start from scratch having never started a business before? Uh, and so... Um, last several years, I've been really focusing on what are the things that we need to put in place? What are the gaps and how do we go ahead and bridge those gaps? Uh, so tell me, yeah, what got you into, uh, into working in rural communities? Well, let me say this. So, so my inspiration was uh, first uh, in entrepreneurship uh, was really uh, looking at my own background and the challenges of understanding what are the resources that exist out there. Um, and how there are a lot of resources, but how it's, it's a little bit difficult to understand what those resources are, what they look like, and where they reside. Um, after I sold my last business, retired, and moved out to West Virginia and began working with a local community college uh, and started working on entrepreneurship and uh, became really fascinated by how other people are able or not able to start a business within the United States. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur. Uh, most of the people in my family are entrepreneurs. And I realized that um, there's a missing link here in terms of uh, people who are out there advocating for entrepreneurs, because most entrepreneurs are building their business. Uh, but uh, the opportunity to be able for somebody to start a business from scratch um, is something that is inherently um, or really a big piece of, uh, of the American uh, experience. And so um, in working in a rural community, I began to see more and more that there was a lot of commonality uh, between people who wanted to start a business but didn't necessarily have access to the tools and resources that are already existing. And so how can we make more connections? At the same time, um, I learned that um, previously uh, a National Entrepreneurship Week had been started in 2006 by an act of Congress. Uh, but over time, it sort of languished and uh, in 2017, I relaunched it uh, after it being dormant for a number of years, 
really to help uh, increase the advocacy, but also specifically helping entrepreneurs understand what resources are available from a federal, state, and local perspective. Uh, and so now a lot of my work is on that entrepreneurship collaboration with communities all across the world. But uh, it's not normal for people to go from urban to rural, correct? I would assume. So uh, what was the inspiration to make that leap and say, you know what, I'm going to sell my business and I'm going to go to a rural community and try this experiment there? Well, after selling my business, I, I had owned a property in uh, West uh, Virginia and decided to retire to the place out in West Virginia. Um, and, and so it was a little bit of, of I want to slow things down now that I've sold my business and, you know, kind of take a take a little bit of time to really uh, relax. But also, as you'll find with most entrepreneurs, you know, they like doing things, getting things done and being uh, proactive and uh, productive. And so the inspiration came in part because of the community college that I it was in our local community. I uh, happened to run into the president there and we started talking and he said, well, what do you do? And I explained to him my background. Uh, and I said, you know, I'd be really interested in teaching entrepreneurship. And so um, my first foray into this was really teaching entrepreneurship in a rural community. And from that, it was an eye-opening experience about how much of a lack of information there was to people who wanted a students or farmers or uh, people in rural communities of how much of a, a lack of information there was to the access to existing resources. And, and having been in an urban environment uh, for a lot of my life and growing up in Miami Beach and then living in L.A. and D.C., um, I realized that there was a lot of commonality that while the challenges may be a little bit different, there's a lot of commonality between the challenges of a lack of resources to rural communities. However, there's also very specific and unique challenges that rural communities face. For example, access to technology, access to broadband, access to wireless, uh, infrastructure, access to clean water, access to roads, transportation. Uh, many of those challenges that um, people in, rural, in urban communities just don't face. And while I, I, I didn't set out to solve all of those problems, um, what I did set out to do was identify, one, are there opportunities in rural communities? What do they look like? And also shine a light on uh, those challenges so that we can make things just a little bit easier to start a business. Look, the challenge in starting a business shouldn't be trying to figure out what government resources there are, or what existing resources there are for entrepreneurs. That should not be the challenge. The challenge should be, am I developing a product or a service that the market wants? And if, that, and if you're able to find that, then being able to accelerate that through the life cycle of, of business development should be fairly quick within our country. However, it's not. Um, so the ability to uncover and discover those resources and where they lay, where they are uh, within the federal government, within state government, within local government, but, but also other resources, right, from foundations uh, to businesses that are out there. It should be easier for people to be able to find that. And they shouldn't have to spend their time and their energy on identifying resources that are already that are already there. Um, the government has numerous programs and numerous agencies available, whether it's the USDA or NASA or Department of Energy. Um, each of these agencies have programs that exist for entrepreneurs. But if you don't know about them, 
then you're not going to necessarily take advantage of them or you have to spend a, a lot of time figuring those out. And whether you're in a rural community or in an urban community, sometimes those challenges is just a lack of information. So when we re relaunched National Entrepreneurship Week, we looked at it from really three focus. The first is how do we benefit entrepreneurs? The second is how do we benefit the ecosystem? And then the third piece is what also needs to take place from an awareness and education perspective. Um, in rural rise, what we realize is because the challenges are unique, can we begin to collaborate among uh, rural communities to create some opportunities and some scale? And the, the short of the answer to that is absolutely yes. What we began to find was that there's some models that are working in some rural communities that can be shared, um, some main street programs that can be adopted. And particularly as a result of COVID, what we began to find was that there was a real big need to get information out quickly and share that among entrepreneurship ecosystems so that they can share that and help their uh, entrepreneurs pivot and take advantage of not only the government programs, but also the change in opportunities that exist as a result of the COVID um, pandemic, where maybe small businesses could pivot to working and creating uh, new products or services that could benefit the community during a, a significant time of need. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I actually want to go down that path a little bit. And I think uh, for some of our audience, uh, this might be a new topic. Uh, and I would say uh, definitely connect with the Rural Rice Conference. Uh, you can go to uh, ruralrice.org to learn more. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit more of an uh, have a more advanced conversation here. Uh, I'm not going to touch on the, the basic stuff, which is the need for broadband infrastructure, um, et cetera. I want to go one level deeper. I think there's a recent Brookings Institute uh, article that talked about small businesses being the backbone of uh, rural America. Do we uh, have to look a little bit more deeper into the types of small businesses that are being started in rural America? And rather than go with this cookie cutter, um, everybody's trying to start a startup model, should we look at what are the rural resources available and think about different ways in which we can uh, train rural entrepreneurs? Because I feel that, and I, and I believe that entrepreneurship is a learned sport in that you're not just born to be an entrepreneur, you could be born into wealth, but any of us uh, in America can uh, learn entrepreneurship, learn how to start a business and start a business. But should we be focused when we talk about rural small businesses on the actual value there rather than simply say, let's get them all the resources and let's see how many people can start a business. Do we look at the, the land, the ability to look at biotech, et cetera? Do you see this happening out there where we're actually trying to take advantage of what's uniquely rural to be innovative? Well, you know, I, I think that the answer to that question is that for every business owner, their business is unique. Right. So regardless of whether you're rural or urban, but the, but some of the challenges that we talked about, broadband, education, transportation in rural communities, they are specific to rural communities and they have a big impact. Right. So what I heard during the pandemic was that a lot of businesses need to pivot to online uh, and, and become online. Well, that that presupposes a lot of different things. Right. It supposes that you understand uh, how to go ahead and create a, a, an online presence that you have access to that uh, technology to begin with. And also that your business is a business that can be uh, 
that can be structured in an online presence. Well, you know, the Amazons of the world and the Instacarts and the Instagrams, all of those are businesses that serve a, a, a densely packed community really well. When you look in rural communities, there's wide spaces. Um, and the so the challenge is, uh, is not just of the infrastructure, but also the types of businesses that exist. And the problem that we face is that we glorify and glamorize the proverbial uh, unicorn businesses, the large scale, the guys who come in and get millions of dollars for businesses that are going to scale and that they're going to, there's an exit strategy, right? If you hear the discourse about entrepreneurship, it's about how do you go ahead and get and set up that exit strategy? Well, the reality is that for rural communities, it's about making a living. It's about supporting a family. It's about supporting a community. And oftentimes it's about handing that business or that farm or that manufacturing outfit to the next generation. So there isn't necessarily, I think some of the language that we dwell in, in entrepreneurship circles um, is necessarily um, not accessible to, uh, to other communities. I think when we, um, that when we uh, aggrandize only those uh, businesses that are large and scalable and investable, that we do a huge disservice, not just to rural communities, but all communities where it's the grocer at the uh, end of the block who, who has, uh, you know, developed a little bit of a community around the, the stuff that they do, or it is a yoga prof uh, teacher, or it is, uh, you know, a guy who owns a backhoe and has a business, you know, moving earth in a rural community. Um, so I think the challenge that we have is that in the circles of entrepreneurship, we don't look at those businesses and uh, glamorize those as business owners. But when you look at it, it's those people in the rural communities that fund the baseball jerseys for the local high school baseball team, or they provide, uh, you know, refreshments uh, at various public functions, or they'll sponsor various things. And that's just as important as a large corporation, you know, sponsoring or being a part of some other aspect. And so it's not that it is different because I, but the challenges are a little bit different. Um, and, and, and so I think that part of this, and, and actually in some respects, I think the pandemic has, has created a spotlight. You know, you had, you might've had people in the past that were, that, that were working in rural communities and maybe they were sewing and making, I don't know, tops or uh, something unique. And then all of a sudden people were clamoring for masks and they began making, you know, masks to sell online on Etsy and, and various platforms. So I think when you look at the rural communities and, and entrepreneurship in general, it's really important for us as people who are out there talking about it, that we have to remind the large organizations that support, whether it's government agencies, it is family foundations or uh, other large corporations that, yes, we want to identify businesses that are going to take advantage of newer technology and scale. But the mo most of the new jobs come from very, very small businesses. Most of the new innovations come from smaller businesses and the new ideas come from smaller uh, businesses. And that we have to look just as favorably upon those people who are going out there finding clients and building businesses. Um, and so I think that um, it is uh, really incumbent upon us to kind of change some of the narratives around these pieces, if that makes sense. Yep. And 
uh, I'll just tell you for our practitioners and for us, we've uh, talked a lot about what does entrepreneurship mean for this podcast. And it's all about wealth creation. It's about breaking generational poverty and giving people a chance at the American dream. We don't look at entrepreneurship as this high-tech, high-growth startup that is trying to raise Series A or Series B. That's 1% of all businesses. And we try our best to break that fallacy uh, at every chance we get. So thank you for bringing that up. I'll try to kind of phrase my question slightly differently because I do want an answer for this question, which is uh, in urban communities, small businesses have other uh, factors that benefit them like density, right? You're able to find your co-founder in their next apartment over, or you can work with a local university system to find a commercial kitchen, et cetera. Uh, when we look at these large scale problems that are being funded by USDA or the EDA or by other local grants, and we look at what's uniquely rural, should we look at how do we innovate? And you use the word innovation. How do we innovate not to bring high tech, high growth uh, startups into rural communities, but how do we take what's uniquely rural and the the rural assets and the rural way of life? And how do we kind of create programs that can help start businesses that still could be somebody using a local tractor or whatever? But I think that when we don't look at innovation and technology as a solution, we keep going after the same problem with the same tools. When we look at what can technology do to kind of create the jump over to the next uh, decade, I think we can create a lot more wealth quicker for small businesses. So are there programs that look at innovation for rural communities? You know, there, there are, and those are expanding, but you also have to provide capacity building as well. And I think what has happened is that there's a gap in the knowledge space around this. You know, if, if you have somebody who is uh, very poor um, and you give them a significant amount of money, um, oftentimes there's a challenge with uh, how they're going to go ahead and utilize that money uh, insofar as you want to provide some guidance as somebody is building their business that is culturally and contextually available. And I say that because I think one of the big areas that we're missing is this um, a capacity building piece. It's not sexy. It's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to measure um, because what you're doing is you're helping people understand what they need to do to take their business to the next level. And it's not always a technology solution. And I say, I think this is what you're saying. So in, in, and, and that's why when we look at entrepreneurship, we really look at one, ultimately it's about the entrepreneur. What are the, what is it that they need Two, what is the ecosystem and what does that support? And then three is the education because inherently entrepreneurship is an, exercise in learning and education, right? Learning about your business, learning about your suppliers, learning about your vendors, learning about your customers, all of those. And I don't care where you, whether you're in a rural community or urban community, that is the underlying aspect of being an entrepreneur, right? So how do we go ahead and through this learning process, walk entrepreneurs, regardless of where they're located, to understanding where their business is, and how they can uniquely scale it or build it 
or add an additional service, right? Because entrepreneurship isn't just about starting a new business. It's adding a new line of business. The problem is that if you're out on a, a tractor all day or you're out, you know, uh, digging ditches, the whole idea about customer development, HR and employees, all of those come at a certain amount of cost in terms of time and effort. And so in some respects, making the information, certain platforms that, that provide the ability to make this easier to access, but also provide a frame of reference of how another entrepreneur who's similar like me, a rural person who's been working in a rural community, how they created a business and expanded that. What are those examples so that they can look at those examples and say, you know what? This isn't about Steve Jobs and it's not about Bill Gates or Elon Musk, but it's about the guy down the street or the guy over in Iowa or Idaho who has done something very, very similar, but they have something unique. And so Rural Rise actually is a community of ecosystem builders. And we brought those folks together because they work with individual entrepreneurs in communities all across the United States. And what they have the ability to be able to do is provide that capacity building to help those businesses move to the next level. Rural Rise provides the uh, connections of communities to other community leaders and creates a many-to-many relationship so that what's working in one community can be used in a mindful way to an, a, and other community leaders can say, hey, look, that's working over here. Can we adopt something that is similar that we might be able to use and leverage. And that's where I think a lot of the opportunity exists within rural communities is to say, what's working in another community over here that we might be able to tap into over here? There's a really interesting example that we may be using in the not too distant future about uh, blockchain technology and how uh, rural communities, um, especially in an agricultural communities may be able to benefit from blockchain technology by being able to sort of proverbially cut out the middleman so that more of the value is uh, derived to the original source. Because if you look at the value chain, oftentimes, you know, the person who gets paid the least is the person at the very beginning. And what's coming out from a technological perspective is since we're able to begin to source where stuff actually begins and there is a high degree of certainty about that, can we go ahead and allow for more of the value to begin at the very beginning or the nascent uh, portion uh, so that the people who are in doing the work at the very beginning um, are not a commodity, but are actually getting paid a competitive wage or competitive uh, compensation for what they're providing. Um, And so that's actually one of the most, I think, uh, exciting areas uh, of opportunity uh, is the ability to be able to help uh, drive value uh, or wealth, actually drive wealth to the value that's created at the very beginning. Because oftentimes that's where it's least and most competitive. And so um, that I think is one of the big distinctions is that can we look at that capacity building piece so that these communities then are able to help their members take advantage of those opportunities, uh, expose them. One of the things that we did in West Virginia was we, we created a Ag Innovation Ag Tech Summit. 
And we brought in an array, and this was you know, probably about six years ago, we brought in an array of technologies, infrared, uh, scanning at the at this time, you know, at that time, drone technology was 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 a new technology, and looking at how we can go ahead and bring that uh, that technology to the awareness of people, farmers, and growers, and businesses. Well, one of the things that we know about is that technology is, can often be um, adopted earliest by the younger generation, but oftentimes they serve as a learning to, to tool for the older generation. So in rural communities. What we decided was bringing together students as a part of these farmers and growers and agricultural people at one venue called the Ag Innovation Summit and bringing them both together to learn at the same time because the students are able to adopt it very quickly, but it's the businesses, it's the adults who own the businesses. And so in meshing those two together, you really have sort of this way and this opportunity to um to really drive some of that capacity building in an accelerated way. And so I'm, I go back in rural communities to that, to that issue associated with capacity building. It's not something that is all that different from other communities that need to learn about how, how the resources uh, work that are currently exist. I will say there's one other thing. There's an opportunity, I think, for potentially innovation so not just looking at what exists, but how can then some of these things be connected through platforms sort of similar to sort of what you've created so that not is there just a capacity building piece, but also an open and increasing accessibility that makes it easier to access as well. And I think that piece is important. It's really two sides of the same coin. But if you don't start with capacity building, you know, you, you can go ahead. It's sort of the proverbial uh, a piece about giving somebody a fish versus teaching them how to fish. And if you go ahead and you give somebody a resource, but you don't really help them understand the whys and the wherefores, then, then sometimes that resource isn't necessarily used in the most effective manner. But it's not sexy because it doesn't create new jobs initially. It doesn't create new businesses initially. So what you find is that there's a public policy challenge to, to find that capacity building um, for funding of that um, and, and seeing what the opportunities are there. So can we talk a little bit about your uh, purview into rural communities across the U.S. and any examples of communities that are doing capacity building well or are helping their small businesses? Uh, because our practitioners are always looking for lessons across the country and somebody who's doing this well. Have you seen communities do this well? Sure. Uh, I'll give you, um, you know, Mildred Frank Franco in Arkansas um, and her accelerator there. Um, we held Rural Rise there a couple of years ago, and the work that she's doing there is is just great work. Uh, you know, these communities need a strong advocate, a vocal advocate um, who's going to go and help fight for some of the resources, but also help get the name out there from a PR perspective. Um, the community in the Potomac Highlands of West Virginia um, with uh, Tina Metzer, who also runs Rural Rise, but also uh, Bill Woodrum, uh, who has been uh, helping to bring together the ecosystem in West Virginia um, and to help highlight. You know, one of the biggest things that took place over the course of the pandemic was just creating awareness of the programs that were coming out fast and furious. Um, and so I think the, the work from a statewide perspective that uh, that Bill Woodrum is doing, but also um, the folks over at Network Kansas, um, they're doing some really, really amazing work across the state 
uh, of Kansas and the work that they're doing to bring communities together. I think the, the, the best examples um, are examples where you have a very strong leader because in the absence of that leadership, and in fact, I just finished up an article, uh, co-authored an article on this. If you don't have the, the leadership in place, you can have the best tools, you can have the best resources, but somebody's got to stand up and say, I'm going to take the lead in this. I'm we're, Our community, our nonprofit is going to be the driver of this. And that that is a fair amount of risk. It's a fair, it's a lot of work. Um, there are some challenges that go with sticking your head out like that. Enos Polonius, who uh, oversees Communities Unlimited, which is uh, in, the, in the South, has done a phenomenal job of working with entrepreneurs um, in communities. Um, Amy Peach uh, is doing a great job. She's based at a community college uh, in Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, Fox Valley, and she has been she has been doing this for years, working with an array of entrepreneurs, and and is just an amazing uh, person. Uh, working both from a rural and an urban community. And, and I think you have to look at what are the institutions that are helping make some of these things happen uh, and aligning with, um, you know, an, an institution, whether it's a library or it's a community college or it's a college or something that can add some gravitas to serve as a uh, a convener, a trusted broker within a community. Because sometimes you have communities that have been, you know, side by side for years and just don't get along um, because, you know, their football teams compete with one another. And it's as basic as that. I'm not going to work with them on the other side of the mountain because, you know, our football teams or our baseball teams, you know, are, are competitive. The problem with that mindset is that the world has changed. The world has changed. And in order to compete effectively in a local market and a global market, people have to work collaboratively. And the resources and the opportunities um, you know, are there, but they're also scarce. And so if you're fighting amongst, you know, this side versus that side within a community, the ability to attract new businesses, to attract entrepreneurs becomes less appealing uh, because uh, um, new businesses don't want to get in. They want to run a business. They don't want to get enmeshed in local politics. So I, the the communities that are doing it best and that are doing it right have begun to rise above, rural rise above, the challenges that exist to uh, identify ways for greater collaboration. And the ones that do it best usually find an institution that is a proverbial Switzerland of sorts that can help bring people together maybe who have historically not gotten uh, together well. And, and the folks that I mentioned are really good examples of that who are working on the ground with businesses in an array of communities to help them launch and relaunch. But it takes those effective leaders. It starts with the person who's willing to go ahead and push and drive. And that's why we started Rural Rise in part was because it is hard work. It is grueling work. It is thankless work. And the challenges that uh, exist happen because somebody has said, you know what, I think we can go ahead and make a change here. And that's where it starts. It's fascinating uh, just listening to you talk about these uh, different institutions. In fact, one of the things that we have found, people always ask us, what makes a great uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem? And we say that it starts with the network convener. 
somebody needs to play this role of a convener. And you you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, it starts with leadership. And uh, and it's that convener who has this very altruistic view of kind of the, you know, let's support the entire ecosystem and also believes in this growth mindset that it's not winner take all, that there is enough money for all of us and there's enough money to go around and that collectively we can actually go after the bigger piece a lot better than by ourselves. And so we've seen that play out really well in both rural and uh, urban settings. Uh, let me switch topics and kind of ask you about the pandemic and the impact on rural communities and where do you see uh, that ray of sunshine or where do you see uh, the the sun behind the clouds? When is When do you think rural communities are going to start getting back on their feet? Uh, I know that the, that's the same question in urban communities as well, but given your um, kind of access, where do you see rural communities coming back from the pandemic? Well, what's interesting is that the pandemic has created a bit of a shift. Um, and so uh, in many respects, rural communities have been a bit of a beneficiary um, because there's been a flight and a migration from urban centers that have been seen as sort of compact, uh, you know, uh, places where uh, the spread uh, of the virus has been quick and significant. And so uh, a lot of the com- rural communities were some of the last places to feel the impact. Now, obviously, there's challenges with regards to medical care and those sorts of things. But what you're seeing is that communities that ring cities that are on the outskirts, um, both rural and suburban, um, have seen a significant growth and impact on their real estate, real estate prices, uh, properties in communities that previously maybe haven't sold. And I think there's been a renewed interest in in rural communities from people who maybe have previously uh, discounted them. Um, so the reason I bring this up is because what will be interesting to see is what happens in those communities once there is no longer the flight from urban centers. Um, I think what will likely happen is that people who've moved out to ur- uh, rural communities, whether they've rented a Airbnb or they're sta- they purchased a property, th- there's going to be an interest in a greater quality of life uh, and that the ability to be out and about, the ability to have you know, not sit in traffic. I think there's going to be a little bit of a reassessment on core values uh, of how people want to spend their time and where they want to spend their time. Not just that, but many companies have created a shift in terms of having people work from home. So if you can work from home and have beautiful hikes and amazing scenery, as long as you have access to the internet, um, then I think for a lot of rural communities, there will be a significant benefit. They will be significant beneficiaries. The challenge may be a, a bit of a culture clash. Um, between those people who are coming in and w- want or have an expectation of certain amenities versus um, communities that are, um, you know, th- that, that, that are maybe going to be more willing to embrace um, uh, the uh, broader collective of, uh, uh, of things that are going on. So it's going to be in part the how communities respond. Uh, I, I view, there has been some benefits to rural communities as a result of the pandemic? So uh, there's a question that I ask every one of our guests, which is, uh, what are some lessons learned as you've gone through supporting communities that if there is an, uh, 
an ecosystem builder who wants to get into supporting rural communities, what are some lessons learned that you would pass on to them? Humble perseverance. Like that's it. Humble perseverance. Um, you cannot walk into a community knowing the answer. If you do, um, you're 100% going to come off uh, in the wrong way. You're not going to learn yourself what needs to be done. Um, and so, you know, this collaborator, this facilitator needs to walk into this space in uh, a humble way, in a way that uh, it seeks to understand um, and, and seeks to uh, be collaborative, but also recognizing at the end of the day that you also are going to have to persevere uh, because this is hard work. It's not easy to go in on a day in and a day out basis, and you're going to have periods of time where it's not going to be successful or what you thought was going to happen is not going to happen. And it's not a straight line path, right? So the ability to be able to dust oneself off specifically for these budding ecosystem builders, that piece is going to be a, um, a piece and a component that is um, very, very important because all the other aspects of things can be done. But if you can't come to the table as a trusted broker, then you're going to have challenges and you have to be able to let the people who are going to work on their own, let them work on their own. At some point, they'll come to the table as the pieces begin to assemble because they're going to need some of those pieces. But being a trusted, humble, persevering broker is probably paramount in anything and cultivating that trust and being there to help people succeed and earnestly succeed and taking a step back from one's own self-interest, which can be challenging, challenging quite often, um, I think is probably one of the biggest uh, pieces that can be done. And we're going to close this with asking people how they can follow you. But before we do that, it would be uh, a huge miss on my part if I didn't ask you about the success of National Entrepreneurship Week what were some lessons learned? And can you just give us some numbers around the tremendous uh, momentum you generated from the National Entrepreneurship Week? Thank you for giving me the opportunity to gloat a little bit um, about this. Um, and, and, and it's been really, really exciting to see the trajectory of this. Um, we started off uh, just allowing communities to come to the table and self-represent whatever it is that they wanted to do for programs and projects, but share that information on a national scale. And over the course of time, the reach from that has just expanded from several hundred thousand uh, people to, in 2019, the reach was 1.5 million. And then in 2021, uh, it's uh, 27.9 million in terms of reach of people. And so what we know is that people want to start businesses. They want to be able to increase their income. They want to be able to develop wealth and, and wealth creation. Uh, and in addition to that, we also brought together over 15 federal government agencies uh, and a renewed resolution, uh, a bipartisan resolution uh, from Congress um, that, is, um, that, that is just supporting entrepreneurship. The nice thing about entrepreneurship is that most people across the United States, regardless of where they are, what they look like, they support entrepreneurship, whether it's social entrepreneurship or capitalism entrepreneurship. Uh, there's almost this feeling that people have the right to start their own business and that they should have the right to start their own business. And so what we've been able to do is uh, really bring together a broad section of communities. And so we like to say from, uh, from Maui to Miami to Maine and everywhere in between, 
uh, National Entrepreneurship Week really serves as a, a, as a great place uh, for people to, to learn more about starting a business and at, gaining access to resources and education about starting a business. And it's, it's a wonderful place to be able to uh, have such an impact in a, in a short period of time. Uh, in terms of the reach and the numbers for National Entrepreneurship Week. So it takes place the third week in February, uh, and we're already beginning the planning uh, for uh, 2022. And, and we're super excited about what that's going to look like uh, for next year. Um, so it's just a, an incredibly exciting time, I, I think, to be an entrepreneur. You know, if you start a business at, at times when they're in the most difficult, um, it when times are amazing, they're super amazing. So uh, for anybody who's thinking about starting a business, uh, particularly if it is not uh, hinged upon um, the, the, the remnants of the, uh, the pandemic, in other words, you know, making a lot of masks or the things that are going to be changing once everybody starts going back together. But if you had an idea for a new business or a new restaurant, um, or some sort of a new place for people, whether it's a massage or, you know, now is a great time to start that business because it, business can only get better. It can only get better from where it is. And so thinking about that and having a plan to execute that uh, as soon as things get better, um, now is a great time to start a business. So we look at, uh, at continuing uh, the opportunity to be able to highlight that and showcase that for people, whether they want to start a, their own, they want to be their own sole entrepreneur or they want to create something that's going to scale and last, uh, you know, uh, beyond beyond their lifetime. Uh, National Entrepreneurship Week works to support all of those people, regardless of where they are, what they look like, what they do, where they are. It doesn't make a difference. Um, and so we welcome them to join the journey of National Entrepreneurship Week uh, to be a part of that. And if they're a rural entrepreneur, um, we we invite them to be a part of the Rural Rise community to help focus uh, on some of the specific challenges uh, and network among uh, the rural folks, because uh, there's a lot of great people who can help uh, the rural entrepreneurs uh, expand their businesses as well. So I just want to thank you guys for having me uh, on today, and I really appreciate it. And um, if folks want to get, uh, you know, get access, they can uh, reach me through uh, the National Entrepreneurship Week website. Um, the email link is there, and uh, they can go ahead and email me uh, through that as well. So thank you for your time today, David. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you. We could talk for another hour. Uh, so it's a fascinating conversation, but we'll bring you back. And we look forward to participating at the Rural Rice Conference in uh, mid-April. You can also find that in the show notes. We'll add the conference uh, link in the show notes. But thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. And thank you for all the good work you guys do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polraj. Special thanks to Joe Kemp for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.